From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 224, and today I'm joined by husband and wife, Ian and Jen McIntyre. Both are writers on The Beaverton. Ian has additional credits on shows like Winona Earp, as well as Degrassi Next Class, amongst many others. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down uh, to watch Network. I'm Jeremy, and I have seen this film, I think, like 10 years ago, and I was drunk uh, <laughs> with my father-in-law on several martinis. So I don't have like the best memory of it, but I have spotty memory of it. Uh, and and I am here with, I'll let you introduce yourselves. Uh, Jen McIntyre. And Ian McIntyre. And neither of you have seen it, right? I have not seen it. Uh, I've, I'm very much looking forward to it. I have seen it, but also it was 10 years ago. And I remember very little of it. I think I remember like three images from it and that's it. Yeah, we had the same experience, only I was like two or three martinis in. Oh man, I wish I'd been. I know I was not classy enough to be drinking martinis when I would have watched Network 10 years ago. No, it was it was at my father-in-law's place. It was like I brought this, it was at Christmas time. I brought a stack of movies to watch over the break. And he grabs us and he said, this looks good. And I'm like, I, and I had already had, like, he made martinis that were like, the first one was enough for the evening. Oh, and he yeah. would just, as soon as your empty, your glass was empty, he'd make you another one. It's like, oh God, I got to stop drinking these fat, drinking these fat. Cause I just wanted to drink it to be done with it. Cause I also didn't like <laughs> it. And he just fill it back up. It's like, here you go. I was like, oh, and I just kind of knew him. So I'm like, I don't, oh, okay. I'll keep on drinking this devil water. <laughs> That is the problem with martinis, because like a warm martini is so much worse than a cold martini, especially if you're not a martini person to begin with. So you've got to drink the vast, but then there's another one. What do you do? I didn't hate it. It's just his were super strong and I did not need more than. But anyway, so then he grabbed that. I was like, "Ah, this is not the state I wanted to watch this movie in. uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, famous party movie, Paddy Chayefsky's. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, so I probably same as you. Like I have a there's a couple of key scenes and moments where I like I think I remember, but there's also I just know this movie through pop culture and through references from other things. So I'm like, oh, I'm am I remembering because of this or that? Like I know the basic setup of it still mm-hmm. uh, that I won't ruin because I assume. Jen, so Jen, what do you or don't you know about this movie? 
Uh, I know the Wikipedia page, uh, except for the plot summary <laughs> section. I looked that up yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously, I, I obviously know that I'm mad as hell, not going to take it anymore. Uh, yeah, at a barbecue this summer, our friend Dan Hirschfield mentioned that he watched it and that it was great. And I that's sort of what made me curious about it. And yeah, I, I would love to check it out. We've been watching a lot of movies from the 70s this mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah, you've uh, been getting us onto some really good, like yeah. old 70s thrillers. Yeah, so that's, uh, oh yeah. what 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 are you watching? Uh we watched the Parallax View, which was spectacular, um, that I I'd never seen before and was great. Um geez, no, Marathon Man. Marathon Man Blowout, yeah. which is I think from the early from the eighties, early eighties. I think it's like nineteen eighty, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Blowout was amazing. Yeah, it was great. Well, it's great. Yeah, I just watched that for the first time last year as well. Yeah. yeah. Um oh. same as uh, Stray Dogs. Do you ever see Stray Dogs? No. Stray Dog, Stray Dog. It's the um, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, right? Yeah, so, Dustin Hoffman movie. Sam sounds Michael like a good one. Yeah, but it's also like the cover is great. It's it's like just like a super tight shot in his face with glass. He's wearing glasses and they're cracked and broken. Oh. Mm. So it, it's it's not. And I think he did it just on the heels of the Graduate. So it was just <laughs> him. It was just Desmond Hoffman going, I am, you know, not that. That's not the only thing I can do. I can also be brooding and serious. It is so wild to go back to the 70s and be like, Dustin Hoffman owned that decade. Yeah. Him, Pacino, you know, there's so many. I, I'm just making up, uh, I teach uh, uh, a directing course at uh, Centennial College. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to make a, a viewing list for the students. Uh, and I try to make it a combination of things that are stuff they probably wouldn't suss out on their own, mm-hmm. um, but also stuff that's good and fun that's not going to feel like homework once they <laughs> start watching it, even though it's right. like old man Lalonde is like forcing <laughs> these, these, these movies now. But stuff like Dog Day Afternoon, you know? Yeah. Watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, where I like, I'm sure they're gonna look at me like, oh, I have to watch this old movie, and I'm like, you don't know, I don't, I what I would give to watch that movie again for the first time. Ooh, it was so good, so stressful though. I will say that is the most <laughs> stressful movie I think we've watched all year because it's so they're so doomed, like they're just it's like these very <laughs> nice men and they're just so fucked. Yeah, and you're just you're it's just so like you, watch. yeah, you have no yeah. idea what you guys are in for. There's no way this is gonna end well for you. Oh, oh yeah, You're oh. So I remember watching that for the first time, being so conditioned to be like, "Oh, it's a movie, so this will probably be fun." <laughs> I'm sure they'll figure something out, and it's like, it's, no, not even close. It's so good. It's like a perfect movie. It's just, it's just great because it's like everyone in that movie is being as smart as their character would be. You know, yeah, like that's just it. You buy all the stuff that goes on with Pacino and his characters and the things that go wrong because it's like, yeah, that guy wouldn't know, like he's not a bank robber no, mm-hmm. you know he's just a guy that's trying to do make some money quickly and just didn't think it through and you know yeah he ugh. knew like one smart detail about when to go and that's like end of list that was yeah. the only smart thing he did yeah <laughs> i just love how just without spoiling because i've done we've done that movie in the podcast but uh, i love just how when they first get in there one of the guys bails right away <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> It's like, oh shit, this is uh but it doesn't because it'd be so easy to, to play that movie as like either a straight drama or a straight like farce mm-hmm. and comedy. But this the movie like it plays more drama than anything, but it has these great moments of just like 
humanity that make that you know they don't make you laugh out loud but you just like you like they, the people feel like human like they yeah, feel yeah. flawed and like they they make the mistakes i would make if i was trying to rob a bank yeah yeah it's uh yeah it was a real yeah a real incredible experience watching it and and yeah pointing that out like i can't think of a ton of 70s comedies i've actually watched over the past year for all the movies we've we've seen and dog day afternoon has a lot of elements of that but that's one of the reasons i'm really excited to check this out I guess, Other than, like mash like i can't think of a whole lot off the top of my head now that i think about it i wonder i'm gonna look it up uh because i'm trying to think of like if you say what's a 70s comedy i'm like i'm like outside of you know woody allen Oh, of course. Stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I would like classify because we were real like, every, like cinema was such in the throes of counterculture. So yeah. all comedy was more like satire. Mm-hmm. Like you I know? think when I think seventies comedy, I only think airplane, and that's really about yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But I, when I think of airplane, for some reason, my brain goes eighties because yeah. that's when because definitely with eighties you think of comedy because that's when all like the big jo- they were starting to make those big just big goofy dumb movies that were yeah, yeah. sexist, racist, <laughs> um misogynistic, you know, you name it, it's it's that because they're all made for, you know, white males in yeah. their in their you know 25 to 40 kind of thing, right? Uh, we had a good run. We're uh yeah. R.I.P. Um but uh, so I think of eighties for in comedy for sure. But it's like now I'm like, what are the like the the, the key seventies comedies? I'm gonna look it up and we and and we'll add that to the discussion when we come back. Sounds good. Uh, and I would feel like a real dummy for saying that because I'm sure they're all gonna be. Awesome. I'm sure there's tons, but yeah. uh, but but the thing is, what I I'm excited to look at because I'm like I'm sure they're all much smarter and more sophisticated than most of the comedies that have even come since. Um, I don't know, man. I saw Smokey and the Bandit for the first time a couple years ago, and I was like, is this a movie? <laughs> That's true. When was it to Mad, 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 Mad World? Was that the 70s? Uh-oh. I don't know, actually. I feel like that's maybe the tail end of the 60s, but I can't remember. Could be, too. And Hopscotch is in there. Have you ever seen Hopscotch? I haven't even heard no. of it. Oh, my God! Hopscotch is one of the... It's Walter Matthau playing... Uh, like a CIA agent that's being forced into retirement and he decides just to fuck with his agency. It's amazing. Oh, that's cool. And sends them all on a wild goose chase. Uh, It's so, so good. That's a movie. That's, uh, I have the, the blue, the criterion disc of it and I've been dying to do an episode of that. So, uh, the the in-laws I think is in the seventies. The in-laws, which is a movie with Peter Falk and, um, Oh God. The uh, what's his name? Great actor, Alan Arkin. Oh, hey, uh, that's good. That's a great, I think, seventies movie. And then Albert Brooks stuff, I think, is all eighties too, right? I think he didn't start doing movies until the early eighties. Yeah, I think he was visualizing it. That sounds about right, but I don't actually. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Modern Romance was eighty-one, something around there. Anyway, nerds. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's watch Network, and we'll come back, and we'll nerd out about it, and 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 uh, and we'll give ourselves a, a more in depth lesson on seventies comedy. Hooray! All right. right. See you soon. See you soon. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. We just finished, and. That is that is still washing over me. That is. <laughs> it's a lot.
Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think we found that wacky 70s comedy that we were wondering about. Yeah, exactly. The, the funny thing is, Patty Chesky didn't consider it uh, a satire. He said this, I just wrote about what's actually going on. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's his take on it, that it's not a satire. I think Sidney Lumet, you know, differs on that front. I mean, you look, you look at the, some of the sets once the TV show gets going and that kind of stuff, and it's hard not to see it as anything but a satire. Uh, that said, like, you know, I, I want to get into what Jen, Jen's the, the pure version on this one. But for me, I'm like, you know, it's, it's hard. I'd be hard pressed to find a film that dances a tonal balance as well as this one does in what it's doing. It's just so specific to what it's doing and it shouldn't work, you know, uh, in, in some of the, the capacity almost, but it's just, anyway, I, I'll, I'll shut up because I want Jen to, to jump in. Yeah. Um, so I will say I really, really enjoyed the first half, like just from pure enjoyment standpoint. Um, it was, it's, it's such an ingenious idea to sort of be kind of rooting for Howard Beale and this like, and Bill Holden, like this nice old newsman. And you kind of want them to get their feelings out. And you're also seeing Faye Dunaway choosing to exploit them. And she's set up as being evil, but it's also really cool that she's being set up as the smartest person in the room. And that's really enjoyable to watch. I think I have to like, I also, I, I think in the second half, I really enjoyed the psych gags on the show. Like <laughs> the, the floats that they have, the various. <laughs> the, the soothsayer. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. got her own audience now, so we should be fine if we can. Yeah, her. no, we got to be super careful. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think it kind of lost me when the central focus sort of shifted away from. Um, I know it's cool to be like, it kind of lost me, this like famous uh, masterpiece. It kind of lost me when the central focus sort of shifted away from uh, Bill Holden and Howard Howard Beale's relationship. I'm just going to use the actor and the character's name and mix them up because that'll be That's easier. Okay. Yeah. Um, and started to, to focus on Bill Holden and Faye Dunaway's relationship because I was like this, that I found harder to follow. Um also, I, I think it's only it's a tiny bit of the airtime. I think the depiction of black characters in this really freaked me out. Like, in a, I, I don't know what it thought it was doing, and maybe it was. I, I don't. I, I don't know if it was commenting on depictions of of like black liberation groups in the media or what it was trying to do. But I, I think that really kind of the bottom fell out of it for me. Uh, uh, after that scene at the midpoint where there's a, a pretty the, 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 nego- the negotiation scene is that the one you're talking about it, it wasn't a negotiation scene it was a scene after that where the um where the char- the character who sort of presented as an extraordinarily smart um she's sort of she's set up as a oh like, yeah, yeah communist but she's also i i think depicted as sort of like a black liberation person it's not totally clear what her what her um her advocacy is but then she shows up and yeah and speak and and goes to meet with this guy who's uh 
this guy who's like, yeah, just styled in a really, really horrifyingly racist way that I don't want to like, yeah, it's just a real, real bummer to see. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But the rest of it was good. Uh, The rest of it was really striking. So yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. I just uh, also, I think that scene uh, took place before the negotiation. It was like the negotiation in the office and the negotiation with all the people in the weird farmhouse. Yes. And then in between, it was like when she went to meet him. Oh, no. The negotiation scene. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're. Yeah, that didn't. that. Uh, yeah, that didn't bother me as much. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that they kept hitting the note a lot of. These extremist liberation people are at their core just commercial horrors yeah odds um and to me that (laughs) i forgot how much the movie hits that point over and over and over again and eventually i'm like guys I, i i get it i get that you have disdain for whatever these people are or whatever they kind of represent to you um but yeah, no, I, I know the scene you're talking about. And yeah, that's a that's a huge bummer. Uh, just seeing that guy for the first time. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. the cult that kidnapped Patty Hearst were not like they were white people. So that's a super striking choice to cast the two main characters as black. But um, getting yeah the yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> halfway through i was just like whoa okay that's what this is um but it's that's also a very yeah yeah i kind of don't know totally how to talk about that because it's a small it's a relatively small portion of the movie that i think is very uh very hard to unsee though so yeah yeah it's i mean it, it, it's almost impossible for movies like this not to just be products of their time when it comes to some of those aspects um like it or not i i I, I definitely watching it this time it, it, that, I mean, so much of it came back to me as I was watching it. But as soon as that one was, that scene came, I was like, Oh, Oh, right. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, um, yeah, that's a bleak damn movie. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like, it's, it's funny to think of it. What was it? 71? Uh, 76. 76. That's what it was, 76. I only know because I was looking up stuff on IMDb as we were watching. Yeah, yeah. It beat um, Rocky for Best Picture, which is kind of yeah. amazing when you think. It's also just amazing that because, it, again, it's like you're watching it. Uh, and like Chayefsky says, it's like it's not a sad side. This is what's happening. And you know that you buy it. And you just think of like, you know, our world today. Our world today is a satire on a satire on a satire of this, right? Uh, the worst part is, like back then, I think, you know, when a movie like this comes out and starts, I don't say exposing, but talking about a lot of these things that probably the average citizen is not thinking about or contemplating, uh, you know, how eye-opening that might have been, where it's like, we, I mean, I think casually we all know this kind of shit happens and we're still okay with it. Yeah, You know, we know Facebook is taking and selling our information. You know, we know that all these things are are happening and that, you know, nobody actually owns our countries anymore. Just like that, that that statement in like 1976, this is like what now almost 50 years ago, this movie, right? Like 45 now, I guess it's, it's close. 
yeah, yeah. You know, this concept that there is no America is is an a concept that is now old enough to be a grandparent, you know, mm-hmm. um, in in a weird sense. It's it, it's kind of messed up that that's something that like <laughs> we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. Like that that's fifty years ago and it has not gotten better. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah the scene of a bunch of people leaning out of the windows and screaming like remind it reminded me of all those videos at the beginning of the pandemic of people leaning out with tambourines or whatever and it's supposed to be this like wonderful moment of connection with each other when we're all so isolated but it's so eerie and uh yeah i mean un- unbelievably uh unbelievably prescient yeah well and they're all asking is like are they are they screaming in des moines are they screaming like just wherever the affiliates are right it's like well, it's, the way it's she's working. so she throws the phone she's so happy like her performance is so demented and so fun like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. she's she's brilliant in it um even to that last scene like when you get into like not the last scene but the scene where they're all just casually having a meeting about whether or not they kill howard beale Oh God! Yeah, and it's like so. What's the what's the what's the buyout if we kill him? Is it like just not like nobody's like temperature is going up a fucking like draw? They don't even get a close up. Like nobody in that scene even gets a close up. It's just like yeah, they're just in a room. They're just talking. Well, so by yeah. that point, anyone who has any modicum of empathy in that in the cast has been excised. Yeah. And it, you're only left with the people who see this as just a purely intellectual exercise mm-hmm. and have well, no concern. Yeah. And it echoes that opening scene where Howard's going on about how he's going to kill himself in a week. And mm-hmm. not opening scene, but the opening newscast. Yeah. Uh, and everyone is not even listening. There's only, it's, a, it's only after it's happened that everyone's like, hey, did you hear what he said? I forgot. Yeah. Did I like he, that. He a lot. said he's going to kill him. I was like, oh, did he? It's like, yeah. Well, that's not good. Like, yeah. They just kind of catch it because he's like saying it and they go, go to camera one. Like they're just going through the motions. Clearly don't give a shit about yeah. what's happening. It is a really cool way. Like in the first half of it, especially of sort of substituting the various people who work at the network for, I don't think you see the first person, like the first uh, actual at home audience member until a lot later. And they are, they're really efficient about that. Like you see the board guys in the control room, just watching him and not even listening to what he's saying. And then by the third broadcast, they're all just totally wrapped. And yeah. yeah. But it's true. It's like Beale goes from being, you know, this angry, you know, disgruntled aging man to a caricature of himself by the end uh, where, and even his, his actual death, is so unceremonious. It's just like, it's just that quick. Yeah. Uh, and then we move on. Like there's no lingering shot. There's no anything. We just, we're out. Uh, well, if anything, it's played over and over again because it's now just become content. Yeah. And it's, you know, it plays over the end credits and you just keep seeing it on various newscasts. Uh, like it, it just gets, really like there's no human connection to it whatsoever. It's just news mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. The, uh, the cast in this is just phenomenal. It's, it's it's the last time, um, uh, a film has been nominated for five Oscars for acting categories. Oh, wow. Two two of which the actors are only in the movie for like five minutes. 
I was going to say that because I saw because again, I looked at, I read over the entire Wikipedia entry except for the plot summary. And I saw that the actress who played uh, Max's wife. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, she was great. But she was on screen for like three minutes. Beatrice Strait. She's phenomenal. Yeah. What was she? Yeah. Nothing really. Like you wouldn't, she's in other things, but you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't recognize her from anything else. Right. Like this, I I forgot about that scene until it came up and I was like, Oh, this scene. And and there's so many scenes like that, that there's not an actor in this movie that doesn't get a great moment, you know? So so it's like just from the the writing point of just going, Oh, the, you know, this is a, a writer who is making sure that every character has a point of view Every character has some kind of office or authority. Uh, phenomenal. And then Ned Beatty doesn't win, but he gets nominated as well for his role. And he shot on the movie for one day. Uh, wow. I can see that. Yeah. And that's why he says, that's one of his famous quotes. He says, never turn down a day of work. <laughs> speech was so incredible too yeah. i i absolutely did not see that coming because he's this completely buttoned like so controlled so modest so quiet and then he just lets out this absolutely there's no america yeah, yeah. well yeah. I, I do love how i, I like i feel like how uh, i feel like a lot of people in this movie Kind of like you said a minute ago, like smartest person in the room. I think a lot of characters in this movie think they are the smartest person in the room. And I think a lot of them do that in this way where they're like, I'm smarter than everyone else. I'm completely dispassionate about what I'm doing. And therefore that gives me an edge. And I think nearly everyone who thinks that at any given moment is revealed to be more of a fanatic than the last guy. Yeah. Like you see Faye Dunaway, who's just like, I don't have human emotions. I don't care about things. All I care about is doing my job well. And that's why I'm the best. And by the end of it, you see like, she's just screaming into a phone Mm -hmm. because this thing is blowing up in her face and she doesn't know what to do with it. Like she's so obsessed with it. And same with Ned Beatty, this guy who, like you said, like seems like the most buttoned down normal guy in the world. And then as soon as he gets behind a closed door, he's this got this messianic complex about how, capitalism is going to create a utopia and, you know, terrorizes Howard Beale into becoming this acolyte. Yeah. Like to that point, I think the, the probably the smartest person in the movie has to be Bill Holden's character, mm-hmm. Max, because he's the only person who's aware of what he's not aware of. You know, he's the yeah. one that just knows what he doesn't know, knows that she's got a, a hold over him and he mm-hmm. can't do anything about it. You know, he knows where he knows where his limitations lie, or everyone else, like you said, thinks they're invincible. Mm-hmm. Although then, I do so, think he flirts with that, though, when he goes to his wife and is like, I'm leaving you for this other woman. And it's just like he's so dispassionate about explaining it, even though he talks about how intellectually he's like, Yes, I get that I'm doing this horrible thing. I get that I'm betraying you after all these years together. But he's just like, ah, I got nothing else to say. Like that, it is what it is. Yeah. And then later on, he seems to realize, like, oh yeah, that's right. That that actually was pretty. And and that I will say is just the one thing I just found kind of baffling about the movie because other the fact than the fact that Faye Dunaway is beautiful, it it's I, it's not clear what he sees in her either as like a symbol of television. Or as a person, like, I do not buy why he would want to be with her for any extended, like, I, I don't get that. 
I genuinely yeah. like that. That's the one thing. I yeah. Can you can see the initial attraction and the excitement of it. But yeah. then, yeah, for the, the idea that he is actually in love with her and wants to spend, you know, leave his, leave everything for her. Uh, I think the only thing you can maybe hang a hat on is just the idea that she is, she wants him and therefore she gets to win because mm. she's just that kind of person. Mm. Um <laughs> You know. Oh, and I thought the first scene where she came to his office was just electrifying. It was sure. so so strange and mm-hmm. and such like that's the first sort of real entrance for her character, where she has that super weird monologue about soothsayers on Wall Street uh-huh. and yeah, uh, yeah. No, that was a that was a really interesting scene. I I think that yeah, because in that scene, he's not sure if she's batshit crazy or if he's if she's brilliant. Like, he just can't tell you. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that was, that was the one part of it that I couldn't follow that I think it made it harder for me personally to engage with the second half of the movie. But yeah. I do yeah. once again, think that William Holden in that moment, and I should for sure learn the character's name. Uh, it's Max. Uh, Matt, I think it's Max. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm only calling him Bill Holden because I, in an episode of I Love Lucy, I watched when I was a kid, she keeps referring to him as Bill Holden. I think he goes by William Holden, but by most people. No, we get it. You guys are all friends. Cool, great, perfect. Yeah. Uh no, it's a no, like I I I do feel like at some point he is trying to convince himself there is something greater here. Like there is some connection that we have that is, you know, I I can't I'm infatuated with her. It's mm. something uh, I can't even articulate. It's so special or interesting. And at the end of the day, it's just like, no, nah, I'm just a middle-aged guy who's kind of depressed. And this attractive younger woman seems into me and I'm, I'm just going to be a dummy for that. And I think he kind of realizes at the end, like, Oh, I, I sort of played myself. Smarter men have lost their lives for the similar, same thing. Maybe it's that Bill Holden just comes off as so smart. Maybe that's yes. why I'm like, if you're this smart, why would you do But Hey, well, yeah. he's for sure like the closest yeah. thing to an empathetic core yeah. that the movie has. He's, yeah. He, if, if, if the movie has a heart, it's him. Yeah. 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 And it's you know? and that's not a huge hurt. <laughs> no. The um I don't know which part he was offered, but uh James Stewart was offered the movie first. Uh wow. and, and turned it down because there was too many cuss words, too many swears. Wow. For, for Jimmy Stewart. I can't swear that much. I he can you imagine him going, I'm mad as hell and I'm can't not gonna take it. Like I Amazing. Oh God, that would be incredible. Yeah. Right? Would have been, what a what a coup that would have been if you could have gotten Jimmy Stewart to play that part. Jeez. Yeah. Especially like you because you would have gotten like late stage Jimmy Stewart too, right? Like yeah. bringing all the not that William Holden yeah, and and um uh oh, why is his name? Uh the actor who played Howard Beale. Don't don't William um, her, no, yeah. something Firth. I think you're. I right. thought it was William Firth, but it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, don't have that, but apparently that um, Matt is Hell speech was actually recorded in one and a half takes. Jesus! Oh, oh my God! Um, and and most, most, of, and the only reason they did a second take is because he collapsed during the first one out of exhaustion, and uh, and they so they went one more time and got and got and got and got it all the way through, and then they're like, "We got it. We're done." Well, the wool suits were very sweaty. I think it's totally, if anyone collapses from exhaustion on this set, I think it's fair enough. But yeah, everyone's yeah. wearing a lot of polyester. Yeah. That's the one thing I don't know. I'm not quite entirely sure what she's referring to, but I remember like an interview, year, like I read with Faye Dunahue talking about 
uh, this movie, uh, Peter Dunaway, uh, talking about this movie, and she said that it, Sidney Lumet was like the most efficient director she's ever seen. Like he didn't waste a moment of direction or a moment on set in just the way. And I think it comes down to like that, the idea that it's like, I don't need to kill a scene. That was amazing. We can move on. Right, uh, right. And, and was generally right. But I think it's also the kind of thing where everyone was so enamored by the script that no one wanted to fuck with it. Right. Yeah. I, and the script is like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I get that that's a classic script and it's a great script. It's so theatrical at points. Mm. Like it, it really was, elevates beyond being just a movie and feels very larger than life. In a way, I'm kind of shocked this hasn't become a musical. <laughs> oh, well, that feels like a cutaway in 30 Rock or something. They'd be like, Jenna Maroney is like playing Faye Dunaway's character in Network, the musical. Like, oh. yeah, yeah. That's the better version of that. But in a way, like, you know what I mean? Like, because it is so it could so easily be adapted to a stage production. Uh, but you could just see like some of those things becoming like all those big speeches becoming, yeah. becoming like big numbers, like mad as hell is a song, yeah. you know, Ned Beatty's number is a song. The wife leaving max is a song like, like that's, that's the 11 o'clock number, right. Where she just belts it out. Yeah. Uh, and then wins the Tony. You know, yeah. it's it's like you can see how it could work. But again, it would be such because like, like you said, and like I was saying at the beginning, like the tonal like uh, and I think it dips, it gets it, it gets rocky in the second half. Um, but that tonal balance it plays, you know, it's like, you know, nowadays we, we play this as a straight comedy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but it's like everyone is so deadpan and so serious in this movie. Um, despite the craziness of what's going on, uh, mm-hmm. it just rides this this impressive tonal balance for me. Uh, it de- it definitely wavers in places, um, but it's 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 I don't know. As someone who like prides himself on just trying to like not fuck up tone, um, yeah, yeah. it's just like it's I I look at that and I'm like that's a, that's well done. Like it, it would have been so easy to screw that up just by letting an actor you know, overdo something or it just, it just lets you know that I'm like, Oh, the director knew exactly what the movie was they wanted to make and kept an eye on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, and he hits all the jokes. Like there are, there mm. are such good jokes, like through the end, even when they're talking about murdering a guy um, that is so it's, it's horrifying and it's funny, but you're also emotionally invested. It's, it's, it's uh, that part of it is really well done. Yeah, it really keeps coming back to the well of here are people talking about awful things in the most dispassionate, self-interested, hyper-capitalist kind of way. Yeah. Um, but it's like you look at like, because he did do Dog Day Afternoon. We were talking about Dog Day Afternoon earlier, right? <laughs> yeah. That's one of his. Uh, he has a great, for those aspiring directors, listening to this too. He has an amazing uh, book. I think it's just called On Directing as well mm-hmm. uh, that he wrote for anyone that wants to read. And it's kind of a, a masterclass in uh, Serpico. What else? He directed Child's Play? Really? Oh, oh God, I different, totally different Child's Play. Not awesome. 
I'm like, there's no way he directed the Chucky one. No, it's something totally different. And uh, cause it was also 1972. I'm like, that doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. Sidney Lumet is just one of those directors that I know the name and I know he's iconic. And I can never remember anything that he's directed. Even movies I've seen, <laughs> I can never call them to mind. There's a lot that isn't, but it's like The Verdict was a big one. Uh, he directed The Wiz, which is... Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So there's some weird ones in there, too. Uh, he did the original Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Network's definitely one of The Pawnbroker, which is a really older movie. But this is definitely one of his big uh, biggies. Uh, this and Dog Day are probably his, my two... The ones that I mean, Dog Day might be my favorite film of his, just because I look at that and I'm like, that's kind of a perfect movie. You know, Excellent we, choice. Yeah. yeah, having watched both of these recently, I definitely got way more out of Dog Day Afternoon. Well, Dog Day, you just root for the characters because sure. they're humans that you like and you want yeah. to see them see. Where in this movie, you're like, you just, it's almost like you, to your point, like in the second half, it's, you know, Max is the one you root for if you're rooting for anyone, but you're just kind of sitting back going, I'm just kind of want to see how the train crash goes now. Yeah. Because, you know, this is, they're all, they all deserve to suffer and I want to see that happen. <laughs> oh, Robert Duvall also. Oh my God. He was like a villain in a Muppet movie. Like I love his performance <laughs> so much. His tux is great. Yeah. He's so funny. He's, uh, yeah, he's great. Oh, just the relish that he taught. That he, where he talks about firing that guy and having him thrown out of the building. He's so yeah. excited and it's so gleeful. Yeah. And then yeah. how he backpedals. But just, yeah, watching him, because he's like he's like a ping pong, right? And then when, when that speech comes down, he's like, I'm fucked. Yeah. yeah. Right before the Ned Beatty thing. But it's also it's that great moment after Ned Beatty's speech where he kind of reveals the truth of everything to be able to be able to sitting there shell-shocked. And, yeah. and 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 that's really the the beginning of his undoing, right? He, yeah. Well, I do love that it ends with the same line that the voice talked said to him in his vision that he's purported to have, where he's like, "Why why are you asking me to do this?" He's like, "Because you're on television, dummy." And yeah. I don't know if that means that Ned Beatty is intentionally quoting one of Howard Beale's speeches, or somehow if it's just because he thinks he's the Messiah. He is also the voice of God. Yeah. yeah. It's a great echo. It doesn't feel like he's mocking him in that moment. In that sense, it feels more like he's just saying that. And, and the words hit him hard because he know because we already know that he believes that he knows that that's the truth. Uh, it works great either way, yeah. man. Um, I know. I remember when I first watched this movie, the obvious comparison at the time, and it's so weird how he's disappeared from the landscape entirely, was, holy shit, this movie invented Glenn Beck. Oh, yeah. Like 25 years early. Yeah, yeah it was nuts. Yeah, like the person who's just going through, seems to be going through some kind of emotional crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like his show was just every night I go up and I rant about whatever conspiracy yeah. I'm mad about today. And it's kind of incoherent, but I'm kind of articulate. And it's, yeah, wow. And now anyone can have a podcast, case in point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it's true, but it's also, it's like we don't need, you know, we don't need networks anymore in so many ways, right? In, in, the, in, in the advent of 
you know, podcasts and YouTube and all these things, it's like, you know, you do have all these voices that can grow, but then also because everyone can have a voice, they all, it's so hard for anyone to stand out and they all get muted. Right. So uh, it really does become this kind of opius of the masses in a weird way. There's, there's still requires some curation, I guess. Um, no, yeah. just, now I'm just spiraling. <laughs> I, get it, yeah. I also just really enjoyed the production design. Like, I think that's a huge pleasure of watching a movie from this era. Like, I like the scene, like that fancy, like, lunchroom they have was so incredible <laughs> with those chair, like those, uh, those 70s chairs that are, like, woven in the back, but they're also metal. And, like, there's a guy drinking a Heineken out of a little flute. Like, people drank <laughs> beer that way back then. <laughs> Um, and all the many, many shades of beige that Faye Dunaway is wearing at once. Oh my god! Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, the wardrobe yeah. is all so ugly. <laughs> yeah. But but it's but it all works. It's all like more practical than uh, than stylish. But it kind of works for the the aesthetic they're going for. But I feel like everyone is very put together. Mm. Like for the seventies, everyone is very like. I care about how I look and I'm presenting an image all the time. Um, yeah. They're all playing adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of, it was a little weird to me how it was like, uh, Bill Holden just kept referring to himself as being like, I'm a middle-aged man. And I'd look at him and be like, you look like a grandpa guy. Like, well, he is, he, he's explicitly. Oh, that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. He said, but, but like, you look like my grandpa or something like that. Like you look like you're in your seventies. And I think that is just that people back then looked older. I also, I suspect the part might've just been written for a 50 year old guy or something, or I don't know if it was written specifically for William Holden, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like he, and, and just next to Faye Dunaway, he just looks like he read on screen to me is so old. Yeah. He looks like her dad, her dad or like her young grandfather. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's not, not creepy. And the only thing that makes it not creepy is, is her agency in it. Uh, in the sense that like, she's clearly aware of the, like the father complex. I think she even makes I it. Think she yeah, explicitly yeah. calls it out at one yeah. point. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could have the argument was like, well, does that make the, make it okay for a movie to do that? Because it's self-aware. <laughs> um, oh, sure. Yeah. I definitely feel like this was probably an impossibly self-aware movie for its time. Yeah. I mean, I think they also, for the most part, I feel like till the very end, they were like, Faye Dunaway is kind of just a con, like, you know, it, in no way a thankless part, but I think a pretty two-dimensional part until like the very last few scenes when, um, when Max leaves her. Um but yeah, I also wasn't super bothered. Like I, I was never like worried about her emotionally because like, this isn't a real person. This is like a wonderful collection of speeches and scarves and yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. amazing. But that's also by design too, to some extent, yeah. right? Like she kind of becomes that, and, and it's not until the end that she becomes unhinged and we're like, oh, you're deep down, you are a human. You yeah, feel, yeah, exactly. You, you you feel things when when you rip away the shell that you yeah. have yeah. carefully built yeah. up. That's uh, a really good point. Yeah. Um, but that said, it's like there's there's the the movie has that danger up until the end of of it just being, oh, this is a really well performed two dimensional character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we forget, 
So, so some of I, I'm sure you looked it up too, but just comedies of the seventies. Like I think this stuff that I'm so embarrassed. That oh I, I didn't. God. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just like the, the pythons, you know, oh, yeah. yep, there's Mel, that. Mel Brooks is, you know, pretty active in this period. Oh geez. Of course. History yeah. of the world and young Frankenstein the, and blazing. Yeah. The jerk is in this yeah. period. Yeah. Um, you were talking like, about that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, Dr. Strangelove seventies? Uh, well, maybe. I think that's sixties actually. Yeah. I think it's I think it's in the sixties, but well. Um what else? Smoking the oh, hair of the mod. You know, I've never seen Harold I've never Mod. Never seen that either. Oh, well, there you go. There's another one for us. Harold oh, Mod. Okay. Harold Mod's great, especially if you guys are in a seventies kick. Oh, okay. Harold and Mod is is delicious, um, oh, and and has a killer soundtrack. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. No. A lot of cat, a lot of cat Stevens. Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so killer soundtrack if you like cat Stevens. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> as, as he was as he was going by at the time, he's no longer cat Stevens. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of great stuff. Um, so, any any final thoughts on a network? Um, I don't know. Definitely brilliant artistry it left me a lot colder this time than i remember it leaving me the last time i watched it like not cold as in like i think that's bad just cold as in like oh that's so bleak that it's it's like a ride i'm almost glad i'm off that makes sense huh yeah that's fair jen uh yeah i'm really glad i watched it i'm gonna go read a zillion reviews about it now Uh, because I don't think I have a fully formed perspective on it yet. But I'm definitely really glad I watched it, and I enjoyed a a lot of it. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I finally revisited that and watched it properly, paying paying attention and not being half in the bag, Uh, (laughs) as as you do occasionally when when you watch a movie. But uh, And it's just one of those things where I, I walk away, like, I think, like, appreciating like it's form and it's pieces and all this stuff that's going on more than like you said, like just loving the whole, I think I look at it like, like there's a lot of mastery going on here. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't like hit me on any kind of emotional level besides, no. besides fear. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, sure. So there's that, you know, um, but also it's like, that's not a bad thing either, you know? So there's something where I go, yeah, it's like, there's a reason this movie is as loved as it is. And, you know, it's got those problematic moments that Jen brought up, uh, which, you know, God, God love movies that every now and then skate through and you're like, Oh, that one's good. Like that. No, that like d- despite being made in the sixties or seventies or early or eighties, I'm like, no, this it's uh it's pretty, uh, pretty good. Doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt too many people on purpose. Yeah, um, trying to give an example. <laughs> there's yeah. a couple. There's I mean, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. There's a couple I, I've done on the podcast. I'd have to go through and look at them, but uh, that I'm like, oh, that's surprisingly progressive for its time. Mm. Um, I always try to shout that out when it happens because it's it's rare. It is. Rare. I remember yeah. thinking that about Dog Day Afternoon. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Dog Day is pretty progressive just in the fact that it's like it's its lead character is gay. Yeah. yeah. Well, even going back and reading about it, I was like, oh, I, I imagine attitudes about this have evolved over time. And it's like, no, not really. 
people at the time were like, this is really progressive. And people still looking back on it, like people in that community seem to be like, no, this still holds up weirdly. Yeah. So, yeah. I like how I like how our uh, network podcast has really turned into a review of Dog Day Afternoon and how much we all love that. That's okay. We're allowed to love Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, but I did that with who was on that episode. Jonas Chernick was on it. And I think Norm Wilner popped by too. Nice. That's cool. At the end. Uh, love that movie. I could watch that movie. That's one of those movies I can't wait till my son is old enough to appreciate. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know, I'll show him a bunch of like cool, cool heist movies, and then I'll throw this one as like a as like a right hook. <laughs> you think good. this is gonna be a fun bank robbery? Wrong. <laughs> bank robberies aren't always fun. Yeah, you're gonna cry at the end of this one. <laughs> you're gonna feel really sad about John Cazale. <laughs> John Cazale is still. I'm sure I've said this in the podcast before, but he's he's you know, was gone way before his, he, his time. He's one of those actors that had very few actors that had a perfect career. He was in five movies and all of them were, um, you know, considered great movies. It's like both Godfathers, Dog Day. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Deer Hunter. I had nominated for in the fifth. Oh, Jesus. Conversation. The conversation, I believe. I think is the other one. I think, yeah. And then, uh, and then gone, gone way before, way too early. It, 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 it's funny, like like the career he might have had, uh, yeah, would have been fascinating to, to to see like the alternate version of our reality where John Cazale lived and what films he got instead of other people. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having uh, us thanks so much for having us yeah, yeah. it was a so good time to talk to you about this yeah we'll do it up again we'll, we'll get uh we'll either do harold mod or we'll find something fun to do that sounds good let's all go to the thanks for joining us for network black hole films is a proud member of the that shelf podcast network you can listen to other episodes of our show and other that shelf podcasts on that shelf.com Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.